another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of Secretary of State for Health and Servia Laboratories Limited. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 44. And the case that we are looking at today gets to the heart of the relationship between the UK and European courts and focuses on some of the key principles that underpin EU law. In terms of the actual case itself, Servia are a drug manufacturer who developed the drug Perindopril that is used to treat a variety of cardiovascular diseases. Perindopril falls within a class of medicines known as angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, which for short we will refer to as ACE inhibitors. The claimants in this case are the health authorities in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. They brought proceedings in 2011 and 2012 and argued that Servia had breached the EU competition law under both Articles 101 and 102 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union, and, by doing so, had delayed the entry of cheaper, generic forms of perindopril onto the UK market, thereby costing the health service a significant amount of money. Servia's actions were investigated by the European Commission, who found that the company had indeed breached Articles 101 and 102. They appealed this decision to the General Court, and there it was held that while Servia had infringed Article 101, there had not in fact been a breach of Article 102. Importantly for the present proceedings, the basis of that decision was that the definition of the relevant market did not just include perindopril, but also extended to ACE inhibitors in general. That broader definition meant that Servia could not be classed as having a dominant market position. There are currently still appeals pending to the Court of Justice of the European Union, but in the meantime we have this current domestic case. Here Servia are arguing that because the health service did not switch from perindopril to a cheaper generic drug much sooner, they failed to mitigate their losses, and so even if the government's case is eventually made out, the amount of damages they are awarded should be limited. A trial was held to examine some of the preliminary issues, and the key question that arose was whether the finding of the general court that perindopril can be substituted for generic ACE inhibitors should act as a binding precedent on domestic courts. Servier argued that it should be binding, because it would help demonstrate that the Secretary of State failed to mitigate their loss. The government took the opposite view, and argued that the finding of fact was not itself binding. The High Court and the Court of Appeal found against Servia, and so we pick the proceedings up as Servia appeals to the Supreme Court. The central legal principle in this case is res judicata, which translates from the Latin as the thing decided, and basically means that a question that has been answered by another competent court cannot be relitigated by the same parties again in another court. With that in mind, it is easy to see why Servia would want to rely on the findings of the general court being regarded as res judicata, and why they felt that the question should be referred to the Court of Justice of the European Union under the preliminary reference procedure. For the Supreme Court, though, there is a fundamental problem with this case right from the word go. Res judicata only applies to legal decisions that have become definitive, but we know that the decision of the general court is still pending appeal to the Court of Justice. On that basis alone, the principle of res judicata cannot apply here. 
However, while that was sufficient to deal with this present appeal, the justices did take the opportunity to go through the law in this area and set out how res judicata might apply if the judicial decision in the other proceedings was in fact final. In P&O European Ferries Vizcaya and Commission from 2006, it was decided that where the EU courts have annulled a commission decision on substantive grounds, the substance of that judgment becomes universally binding. The reasoning behind this is that it provides a definitive answer and offers a degree of legal certainty in terms of the proceedings between the parties. An important question arises out of this, though, is what constitutes the substance of a judgment? We know that it will include the actual decision made by the court, but it also extends to the core reasoning behind the judgment as well, known as the ratio decidendi. These aspects have to be preserved because they are the things that underpin the judgment and give it authority. Applying this to the present proceedings, and assuming the decision of the general court is upheld, we can say that the basis of the judgment was that the relevant product market should include all ACE inhibitors and not just perindopril, and so that would later not be open to challenge in the context of Article 102. However, that context is important because outside of it, the legal dispute will remain a free-for-all. In other words, there would be no more avenues for the government's Article 102 claim, but the current proceedings in the UK court are not about that and have little interest in what the relevant product market might be. Instead, the Servia case is about the mitigation of loss and seeks to treat findings of fact as binding in this completely separate legal context. As we have discussed, that is simply not how res judicata works. Allowing the findings of the EU court to be binding in other proceedings that raise the same factual issues would open a Pandora's box and potentially lead to other courts being hamstrung and coming to conclusions that are both arbitrary and unjust. It would threaten the right to a fair trial and also undermine legal certainty, which would be somewhat ironic given the purpose of res judicata is to preserve legal certainty. In the end then, the Supreme Court concluded that the appeal must fail and there was no need to make use of the preliminary reference procedure because the principle of res judicata is acta claire. Overall, this decision by the justices is pretty spot on. Clearly, it would not be appropriate for the Supreme Court to come to an actual decision regarding res judicata in this case, when there is still an appeal to the Court of Justice pending in related proceedings. Having said that, the general discussion of res judicata is useful. How much of the decision in a European court should be binding on domestic courts in the UK and other member states. Limiting it to the ruling itself and the ratio makes sense because, for a start, that is the kernel of the decision, and everything else is just feeding into that. Furthermore, allowing what we recognise to be the substance of the judgement to extend too far would limit the ability of other courts to decide on related matters. That brings us to the importance of the legal context. In these proceedings, a consideration of the relevant product market in relation to Article 102 is only of limited consequence to the mitigation of loss claim here in the UK. For that one aspect of the decision to have an outsized impact on the decision-making process of UK judges would not be right and could well lead to an absurd and incoherent legal outcome. In the context of Brexit, I think this says a lot. 
During the campaign, much was made of the overbearing role played by the Court of Justice, but a closer examination of the principle of res judicata shows that its influence is strictly limited, and that the UK courts have always been empowered to make their own minds up. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com for providing the theme music. Before I finish, a quick programming note. Next week we will have a special episode featuring an interview with me on the A Question of Law podcast, talking about Brexit, so be sure to keep an eye out for that in your podcast feeds. Then, the week afterwards, I will amazingly be having a week off over the holidays because, uh, well, frankly, 2020 has been exhausting. What else can I say? Um, In the meantime, you can find all previous episodes on uklawweekly.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast, then instead of Patreon, you can sign up to the full version of my email newsletter and earn yourself some treats in the process, just in time for Christmas. There's going to be a link to that in the podcast description. I'll talk to you next week, but for now... Bye!